This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Matt's Plane today. Is technology making us stupid? It's not the first time that we've discussed this on Matt Splained, uh, because we have to keep asking the same question because we are becoming stupid. Um, as AI becomes even more prevalent in our lives and our workplaces, can we finally be accused of offshoring our intelligence? Hey, Rich, I, I finally get to do my Dumb and Dumber episode. So um, do you want to be uh, Jim Carrey's Lloyd or do you prefer to be uh, Jeff Daniels' Harry? That's a loaded question. Um, I think I want to be Harry. He seems happier. Okay, so so that's the the challenge. So for the rest of the episode, we have to try and call each other by uh, <laughs> our character names. Um, so Harry, you know, um, no, I mean the, the this this idea, this notion that technology is making us stupid is pretty much as old as time itself. Mm. Uh, you know, it comes from this idea that there's something inherently lazy in using a device that saves us time and labor. And, you know, every generation forgets that its progress is generally built on the successes of the generations that that came before it. Right. And I'm sure there were plenty of people commenting at the time when they saw the first plowers, uh, the first plows rather, saying that these are, you know, inimical to the uh, functioning of uh, village society. And you can see why people kind of have these ideas. In the short yeah. term, technologies often displace people or displace their role in the world because with the plow, you know, suddenly farmers could prepare and till crops on much larger tracts of land, land that could support larger populations and offset, you know, some of those risks of, of you know, food shortages. I'm just curious. You seem to use the plow analogy quite a lot. Well, I've got to choose something, Harry, that was sufficiently <laughs> far uh, behind in history to to have an impact. Uh-huh. Um, and you have to find something that people care about because plows equals food. So people still care about food. Okay. So in, in this case, it's technology that's about 3,000 years old. Uh, if I use technology that's more recent, well, you know, iPhones were practically invented last week. Uh, the printing press, that was only about five or 600 years ago. Uh, I could talk about looms. Those were invented about 7,000 years ago. Uh, that's how long we've been weaving yarn for clothes and fabrics. But who cares about looms? Do people mm. even have an idea of what a loom is when I say it? Um, we could talk about power looms, which became that kind of symbol of the Industrial Revolution. But that was you know, a minuscule 350 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even something like compasses, you know, that's about a thousand years ago. So in a lot of ways, the plow is a good example because it's stayed remarkably consistent throughout history until the mechanization of the 20th century. And there are still plenty of places in the world that you can go where oxen still pull plows across fields. So True. it's a good living example of old technology, Harry. Now, listen, Lloyd, um, <laughs> you can't argue that plows are making us dumb. 
No, I mean, I'm not trying to, but we've always had the same issues with technology. So technology doesn't normally launch itself into uh, a void, uh, except for maybe the metaverse, because it kind of is a void. But even with the metaverse, it's (laughs) built on top of layers of technology that we recognize, even if we don't necessarily understand them. So a lot of technology tends to be iterative. It's just a better version of a thing or things that you already know, like the spork, you know, the the fork and spoon. Who doesn't want a spork? Um, well, you know, obviously a lot of people, judging by how few sporks there actually are in the wild, uh, I once had hopes that I would see these enormous flocks of sporks flying overhead <laughs> on their northerly or southerly <laughs> migrations. But, you know, to no idea, uh, no avail, rather, the sky's still full of stupid birds. Um, but yeah, no, so these are iterative technologies. Uh, home computers, for example. Home computers, well, that's basically a typewriter with a TV screen. So that's not difficult for people to, to grasp. Mobile phones, well, people already had cordless wired phones in their homes, so it's only a step further from there. Mm. Cars, well, horse carriages with a mechanical horse at the front. I mean, we even rate engines by their horsepower. Uh, do you want to have a go? Would, would wireless headphones be iterative? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, we're used to headphones. It's just the headphone without the cord. Um, But, you know, when it comes to digital technologies, it gets a bit trickier because there isn't really anything to see. It's just Uh a concept that you have to wrestle with. Uh, With the internet, well, we can sort of imagine data packets floating and flashing around Um, the cloud. For example, that became easier once we realized it was really just all of those data packets running backwards and forwards to to server farms. Uh, And even server farms, you know, we can visualize that because it's like a battery farm for computers instead of chickens. But how do we imagine AI? Sure, the, the machine itself sits in a server farm, how does artificial intelligence do what our brains do? Mm-hmm. Even something like a search engine, we can grasp that because basically it indexes information. We might not understand how that indexing is done or how it's delivered to us, let alone how it does those things so quickly. But at its heart, it's basically a filing system. That's something we can all understand. But AI is this black box that people tell us we can't peer inside and even if we did it would basically be unknowable which people well people like us mostly harry <laughs> um but the uh, the biggest problem comes from Wait, so we're, 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 we're perpetuating this problem then are we i told you dumb and dumber um but the uh, the biggest problem is when all of these technologies converge so our phones now have AI in them. Mm -hmm. A lot of newer cars have AI in them. As I mentioned last week, some people want to put AI in our fridges. I don't know why people can't just leave fridges alone. Um, But as a result, all of the tech we routinely use becomes increasingly unknowable because we're adding these elements that we simply can't even grasp the concept of. It's like the old trope, you know, if something electrical breaks, hit it with a hammer. It you know, works. It works. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's a car, a TV, a radio, your water heater. Mm. Um, 
you know, the, my brother is definitely of the hit it to make it work school. He has a, a very old Land Rover. So to an extent, you know, that technique kind of works. And he has this enormous toolbox on wheels and he loves taking it to places to fix things. I've never actually seen inside it, but I love to think that when you open it up, there's nothing in it except hammers, wow. all different hammers in different sizes and different weights. Maybe there's, you know, a couple of screwdrivers so he can undo things to get to the bit that he wants to hit with the hammer. But other than that, I think it's pretty much a hammer for every occasion. I think my dad had one of those as well. It often contains nuts and bolts that don't seem to fit on anything else and they're just left over from somewhere previously. Yeah, and they, they don't fit each other either. Correct, correct. Yes. Now you know what I'm talking about, exactly. But just to get back to things, <laughs> how does all of this connect with tech making or uh, making us or, or not making us stupid? Well, because it makes us feel stupid. You know, we feel that we right. ought to be able to fix things. Uh, don't forget that there have been those um, movements over the last few years about the right to repair. And mm. there's been a lot of legal cases forcing electrical companies and uh, big tech companies to give us this right to to repair, rather than forcing us to rely on the service points that they control and set the prices for. But even those rights to repair don't really help most of us because to replace a phone screen, we're still going to have to take it to an independent service provider. Right. We've won the right to choose who repairs stuff for us. Um, but because everything is now a computer from your washing machine to your stupid fridge to your car, <laughs> you can't even change a light bulb anymore. Well, you can. Well, I mean, you say that, but my bathroom light went on the blink a while ago and literally, I mean, it blinks on and off. And when I opened it up, there wasn't a bulb. It was just a strip of little LED lights. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I... You, you couldn't shake it to see if it was broken. No, exactly. So I got onto Google <laughs> um, and uh, a bit of research showed that it's probably a fault in the doodad that regulates the current, that provides the current to the bulbs. How do I fix that? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not even a smart lighting system. So now we have lights where the entire fitting has to be replaced if something goes wrong with it. How many people have you had conversations with who've changed their kitchen cabinets or the entire lighting system in the kitchen simply because the bulbs that came with the kitchen are semi-bespoke and it's pretty much impossible to source replacements for them? Right. You know, right. not only is that environmentally very wasteful, you think about the, the the cost and the time and just the effort all of that requires. But Lloyd, again, this <laughs> isn't actively making us stupid. But it is in a sense because everything is suddenly specialised. So you uh -huh. ask that question, how does a smartphone work? And very few people can actually give you an answer because the hardware and the software overlap and integrate in so many ways mm. that people don't even bother to understand. Open your car bonnet, if it's a relatively new car, well, there's just a few holes for fluids. Um, not even that if it's an electric car. <laughs> Other than that, you know, it's basically a big computer and you actually void the warranty if you try and mess with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, sure, all of that information, the knowledge is out there with a few clicks, but what value is there for you understanding it? And how much of it would you even understand if you were able to access it? How much background research would you have to do 
to get to the point where you've un, you understand the thing that you've just looked to to fix, mm. especially once it starts to intersect with artificial intelligence. Okay, then. So we kind of content ourselves with uh, giving Alexa or the other one uh, commands, because if I say the other one, you know what's going to happen, and really not concerning ourselves with what the process of how Alexa came to be listening to us and seeming to understand what we say to it. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of the big issues, you know, with this apparently meteoric rise of AI, suddenly everything is Alexa or you know, one of the the, the evolutions yeah. of whether mm-hmm. it's Chat GPT, uh, Bing. I mean, wow, twenty twenty three, the year that Bing didn't make people laugh. Um, <laughs> that might go down as one of our, our stories of this year, the year that Bing went cool. But mm. you know, whether it's Chat GPT, Bing, Mid Journey, Dali, I know there are dozens of others. There are more coming each day. Uh, I mean, I think there was a story this week about the newspaper Bild in Germany um, being the latest media company to announce that it's going to augment its journalistic team with AI. Now, this followed earlier reports that it was actually planning to lay off and replace staff with the machines. Mm. Which of those versions of the story is true? I guess time will tell. You wonder as well, you know, with the layoffs this week, how many of the staff that Grabber's laid off are going to be replaced by autonomous systems or some kind of machine intelligence? Even closer to home, Matthew, uh, one of our local radio stations launched an AI DJ just a few days ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually listened to to part of that. And I think one of the things with this technology is that it's fantastic up until the moment it isn't. It, it actually happens. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, but, no. I mean, it, it's fantastic up until the moment it makes a catastrophic mistake on on air right, and gets right, right. the station find out of existence. Right. Well, uh, no comment. Anyway, uh, but here, here's the thing: for the most part, AI is being framed as assistive technology, right? But with a human assistant, we know what that person does and how they do it. Yeah, totally. You know, we know what they should be doing, although most people who have assistants spend most of their time complaining about how those assistants do things. Um, But you're right. You know, how does a medical screening robot arrive at its preliminary diagnosis? Sure, you know, the the patient is feeding it answers in the form of uh, a checklist. The machine Mm. looks at the likely illnesses, but its logic process isn't the same as ours. Mm. Did it miss any cues in body languages that maybe a human practitioner would have picked up on? Uh, Or has its snapshot and its potential access to patient data enabled it to create insights and possibilities that would never have occurred to that human practitioner? Mm -hmm. So the answer to both of those is probably yes. Yes, yeah. But how and why? That's what we don't know. And that's what I want to talk about after the break. That process, you know, what happens when we stop asking how and stop asking why. And as long as uh, he's on air, we'll never stop asking how and why. Uh, More of the same from me and Lloyd when we come back after these messages here on BFM 89.9. Begin Fun Moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to uh, Matt's Plained, um, or Lloyd and Harry's show for today. Um, anyway, we're dis- today we're discussing stupid. Or are you more or less intelligent since part one, Matt? Uh, sorry, uh, 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 Harry. No, Lloyd. 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 Oh, Harry. My word. Oh, dear, yeah. Yeah, well, no, clearly one of us has got an answer for that. I know. <laughs> and I mean, I think a lot of people would describe me as being more or less intelligent. Um, uh-huh. I'm sorry to you, Hannah, if you're listening. That was a terrible dad joke. I shouldn't have done that. Um, so the, the topic for today, as you said, essentially is technology making us less smart. So we spent most of the, the first part of the show talking about the ineffable nature of a lot of current technology yeah. and how it could perhaps lead us to be less curious and more disinterested uh, as that technology becomes more complex to understand. But being incurious or disinterested about technology isn't the same thing as being stupid. And I know that's probably something that nobody ever expected me of all people to say. Um, but that wider question, you know, is technology making us stupid? Well, that technology is as old as technology itself. Mm. You know, before the compass navigating the seas was you know, basically a, a point, shoot, and hope type of situation. You could use the stars and the sun, uh, landmarks if you were hugging the coast, or if there was a, a helpful kaiju in the water. Um, with the <laughs> compass, uh, seafarers could navigate confidently day and night, whether the sky was clear or overcast. And as a result, we started to see an expansion in, you know, maritime trade across the world. But did the compass make us smarter? Well, I'm sure there were plenty of people who decried it, saying that, you know, it would deride the traditional skills of the sailor. But it brought spices and goods around the world. Um, How the European powers then made use of it? Well, that's kind of another discussion entirely. But it facilitated travel. It facilitated that exchange of ideas because ships didn't just bring goods they mm. brought rats. Um, no, they, they brought people with diverse knowledge and perspectives. Uh, so, you know, off the top of my head and with no expertise in this kind of economic history, I'd say, yes, the compass made us smarter. Um, but this idea that the internet is making us dumb dates back to the start of the internet. Mm. A quick Google search will find articles that go way back into media archives, and every few years we get a fresh wave of them. Um, In 2004, with the explosion of Web 2.0, suddenly the internet is making us stupid. In the late 2000s, with smartphones and, you know, high-speed data, 3G, apps on the phones, suddenly the internet is making us stupid. In the mid-noughties, it was social media making us stupid. And since then, more social media and more social media, Facebook and Twitter, Periscope, Snapchat, TikTok, all of them making us stupid. But weirdly, despite all the column inches and the bile spewed at those people, you know, usually from a younger generation using technology that older generations don't understand, there hasn't been any scientific research that seems to support the hypothesis that we are getting more stupid. Do you think it's more about observation and conjecture uh, conjecture creating um, 
an inherent bias? Well, one of the examples people often use is that uh, young people, and I've used young people in inverted Get commas. Get off my lawn. Yeah. They can't add up without a calculator or an app. <laughs> um, usually it happens when there's an interaction in a store where the till has gone down and the transaction has had to be tallied by hand. Right. But people forget that adding on the fly is a skill. Why would you need to remember the price of something in the store when the barcode or a till entry item does that for you? You know, Back a while ago, when I used to work in a pub, I got pretty good at adding things up quickly. Um, you know, adding up those rounds of drinks of food and uh, food and drink uh, accurately was a skill that you had to have. But yeah. I certainly wasn't good at it on my first shift or right. for the first few weeks. You know, modern point of sale machines—they don't just tally up the value of a, a customer's purchases. They're logging stock and inventory control. They're tracking mm. purchasing behavior. They're doing all kinds of segmentation. So when a computerized point of sale goes down, telling the customer how much they owe is really only a small part of what's going on in the cashier's head. They're trying to make sure that your purchase can be slotted back into that whole process, into the machine, once the system comes back online. Okay, so what about that comment that we often hear it, you know, um, that a reliance on technology like the internet uh, makes us less likely to retain information. Don't you think AI is, or do you think AI is likely to exacerbate these problems? Well, I mean, in the, in the course of researching this show, if you call what I do research, uh, I came across a, a Guardian piece called, unsurprisingly, Will AI Make Us Stupid? by uh, the journalist and author Simon Winchester. And I kind of take the view that he's done. I have more of a positive spin on where this is going to, to take us. I mean, mm. we all know that the negative one, we know the popular science fiction model that machines do everything for us. We become lazy, slobbering, screen-addled blobs because there's nothing left for us to do. And right. we've got no purpose beyond senseless hedonism. Uh, Surrogates is one of the movies that, that comes to mind. Yeah. I know that's another example I overuse. But Simon Winchester makes the point about the volume of information we require today. And we don't really know how or why the brain chooses to prioritize some information over others. But it certainly makes sense if, you know, if it's information that we don't regularly use or mm. is readily available from a source like the internet, then our brain isn't going to bother using the resources to commit it to long-term memory. Yeah. You know, for an old bloke, I think I'm reasonably good with technology, but I'm way slower than somebody who's 30 or 40 years younger than I am because I still have to think about the way the system or the OS actually operates. Those kids don't. They grew up with operating systems. It's second nature to them. They don't need to think about it. To them, it's just like an extra sense or, or a limb. I, I did have a moment the other day where somebody had to remind me how to use AirDrop on my phone. Um. Yeah, but that's because it's Apple and it's cloud and it kind of works when it feels like it anyway. So you don't bother retaining that information. Right, right. But just to go back to what you were saying about, about it being, you know, second nature and them not having to think about it and everything. But that still leaves us with the, the risk of 
leaving knowledge in the hands of, of these black boxes that you've already described. Okay, I'm going to say something very odd now. Um, one of the <laughs> yeah, sorry. How is that any different? <laughs> one of one of the fun things to do um, as a futurist is to think about the future as hindsight. Now, I know that sounds weird. You project yourself forwards and then mm -hmm. think backwards, but it's actually really helpful. Otherwise. You're standing in the present. You're standing where you are now with the knowledge you have now. And all of the things that you're imagining are just going to be multiplier effects. It's why we often get these kind of disaster scenarios about the future, because one negative amplifies the next. And we don't stop to think about society pausing or looking to redress or rebalance those effects. That's why it's sometimes useful to... to look at that imaginary point in the future and work that same set of social mathematics backwards. Okay. And when you do work it backwards, does it bring you to the same starting point? So Simon Winchester makes the point that when you look back at the, the great minds of history, by and large, the worlds that they lived in were much smaller. There was less knowledge. There was less information for them to master. They didn't have the ability to travel extensively. Their lives were conducted at a slow and measured pace. But that space may have contributed to them, you know, being able to use their minds to focus and create the things they did. And the idea is that this is part of what enabled their minds to focus and create? Well, even today, a lot of great minds aren't celebrated for their ability to function well domestically or for their social skills. I mean, yeah, Steve true. Jobs, before he died, one of the things he said was if he could do it again, he'd spend more time with his family. Mm. You know, when you look at historical figures, certainly their lives weren't filled with the kind of landfill of knowledge that's our day-to-day -day lives. If mm. they needed a table, they just asked a carpenter in their town or village. They didn't have to go to an internet aggregator to try and make sense of all the options and prices that are available online. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in our world, we're supposed to have a bare-bones understanding of all of that information that came before. We're supposed right, to have an right. understanding of all of the concepts they pioneered. We're supposed to understand the cosmos. We're supposed to know that gravity holds our feet down. We should be able to name the Prime Minister of Finland. That's your cue no, to name the Prime no, Minister of no, Finland. No, no, right. um, no. <laughs> Didn't they change recently? I'm yeah, sure exactly. they changed recently. Um, or, or even to understand what the El Nino effect is. And that's even before we start filling up our brains with digital clutter. You know, how does the smart lock on the office door work? Have I checked all the Slack channels today? Do I have the right parking app installed? And why don't Zoom and Google Meet work the same? And how do I actually present something in Microsoft Teams? You now, know, now there might be some people listening now that might be struggling to see how AI will improve any of those situations. <laughs> well, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, I've I've said many times that not understanding technology is inherently dangerous, mm. but so is the idea that we live in a world where there are very few people who can actually build and make things. You know, sure, right. we've got construction workers, we've got artisan builders and craftsmen, but what would happen if we emptied our minds of worrying about all the trivial stuff like Slack 
and teams. Who cares if an AI is silently, efficiently, and seemingly effortlessly organizing everything for us? What would that free our brains up to do to solve the problem of cold fusion, maybe? You know, mm. obviously, not everyone is going to be able to, to do that. But what would our lives be like without that constant stress and pressure of digital life? That's why I said sometimes it's useful to jump forwards and imagine hindsight from that point in the future. Somebody sat twiddling their thumbs going, aha, Eureka, I have sold cold fusion uh, because they've got nothing else to do. But isn't that just one of your um, other utopian fantasies? Of course, but the dystopian vision is a fantasy too. The, yeah. the important thing is really where on the scale between those options we actually settle. Um, but if we only imagine the nightmare scenario – in a sense, we're going to be working towards that. And it's going mm. to be far easier to make the negatives a reality than to create that more positive version. So in a sense, we come back to those same arguments. What should AI assist us with? What do we do if it replaces our jobs, if it replaces us? You know, we talk about knowledge economies. Well, Perhaps AI is the opportunity to create a bit more space in that system, to give the human intellectual capital more room to do what it does best, which is mm. to think, mm -hmm. and let the AI, the machines, do what they do best, which is to run the systems efficiently, to actually service and run that knowledge economy. You know, I, I know this is going to end up being another of those shows where there's no simple or black and white conclusion, but that's because the future isn't certain. But that doesn't mean that we get to or we should be passive passengers heading towards that future. Right. You know, these decisions are about what we all want AI to do, what roles it's going to play, what tasks it's going to perform. And by that token, what roles we want to play in society. You know, when we talk about things like innovation, we often see it in very simple terms. We see it as wealth creation. We see it as building a business. But you also have to build and shape and create the future as well because the future can't be stopped. It's always yeah. going to happen. You can't yeah. stop tomorrow from coming. But you can decide what tomorrow will bring. Wow. I mean, I'm ending with such Oof. an awful cliche. Um, but, you know, AI isn't our enemy, but it could be if we let it. Mm. So when I look at, back at the 2020s with hindsight, it's the decade where people took back the reins of technology and defined the roles AI and automation would play in their future lives. Because that's what hindsight is. Hindsight is 2020. Admittedly, in my version of the future, uh, my immortal cloud-based essence is the supreme leader of the planet, but <laughs> that just goes to show how smart everyone is. Well, thank you very much for that, Lloyd. <laughs> my pleasure, Harry. <laughs> See, I, I couldn't remember your name for a second. Uh, there. there you go. Good show, good show, good show. Of course, if you want to uh, follow Matt on his travels around the internet uh, or wherever he is, you can, first of all, you can follow him uh, by subscribing to his Substack newsletter. That is culturepop.substack.com. You can also follow him on all of the social media channels. We'll be back same time, same place next week here on Matt Splained on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app. 